Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And down through the years, one of my great delights is, if not presenting radio programmes about the music I love, then being asked to discuss it on someone else's radio show. What follows is one such clip of myself and Mike Murphy, Ireland's greatest art show presenter ever discussing something I wrote about during my 10-year tenure with the Irish Times. You see, during that decade, the 1990s, I also happened to be the popular music correspondent for the art show on RT Radio 1. And both that station and the Irish Times like to see themselves as the radio station and newspaper of record, respectively. These programme segments, and sometimes full shows, would usually occur after Mike read an article I wrote, and phone me to appear on the programme, or after I myself would recommend an item that might be of interest to our listeners, and even provide a script, around which Mike and I would happily improvise. By the way, if you want to read some of the articles I wrote about music, the arts and popular culture in general, plus politics, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. But first, lest we forget or ignore them, Joe Jackson is here to remind us of the enduring greatness of two singers, Doris Day and Tony Bennett, as well as Johnny Mathis, and we're going to play a few songs of the aforementioned. Joe, this is prompted by an article you wrote in the Irish Times, in which you said that we more or less should reassess the enduring value of these performers. And you accorded Doris Day a stature that I think a lot of people might not have heretofore accorded her. Which is? Well, I mean, that you, you say she's an important singer. I oh, mean, yeah, you, you also mean, said she's unbearably sensual, which yeah. we'll come to in a few minutes. But, okay, well, just, but talk uh, about her as a singer first. No, I think as a vocalist, I mean, one of these albums, which is these, the two albums, these are double album reissues brought out now on a kind of mid-price label. So the two original albums, these ones are from the 1950s. And Day by Day, at the time, was rated by uh, Bing Crosby as a, vo- a masterpiece of intimacy and phrasing. And I think if you divorce the image of Doris Day, the movie star, from Doris Day, the singer, people tend to focus only on the singer. If you listen in the track we're about to play to that sense of intimacy she creates when she's singing, it's very like uh, Crosby and Sinatra changed the style of, of popular singing by making it caressive, by making it one person whispering in the ear of another. And nobody does that as well as Day in, in light love songs. Peggy Lee followed the same route. But there is that kind of wonderful phrasing, breath control, and the way even the uh, lyric is placed in the music, the way the music caresses the uh, the, the words and the sense of the song. Mm. I mean, I think she's uh, just as a technical singer. And I also know more and more people are realise it's now hip or it's acceptable for female singers to say, I was influenced by Billie Holiday. Yes, we've been getting it for years. But now to say, and Doris Day. And Doris Day. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And the colour line breaking down, which I think is great. Yeah, it is. Let's We'll have a listen right. now and then we'll speak further. All right, Joe Jackson, lovely version of But Not For Me. I quite agree with you. Minimal backing there, very tasteful, attractive backing. And she does, she's very confident in the way she approaches the song and phrases it, Mm -hmm. smiles her way through it. Sounds like a butt is coming up. But uh, (laughs) Doris Day is is kind of renowned for the Deadwood stage. It's a rolling all over the hills. Isn't it true? And and then you, you in your article said that these two Doris Day albums do capture her unbearably sensual vocals. Now... 
I would have thought that Doris Day competed with June Allison and Debbie Reynolds for the most asexual woman of her time, certainly in the public persona. Would right. you? You obviously disagree. I obviously don't, well, it depends on... Maybe, Mike, you spent too much time watching those movies. On television, of course. You weren't around when they were first released. Obviously <laughs> not, OK? So I think okay, you're, you. you're misjudging her in her uh, suede leather suit sitting on the stage, uh, whip-cracking away out of town at the end of mm-hmm. Calamity Jane. But if you can divorce that image and if you can just listen to the sound of her voice, I mean, even the way she said love in that song, it, it, it's, it's very sensual. It's like, uh, don't want to be sexist, but a lover's fingers caressing your neck. I get that feeling from listening to Doris Day. When I divorce what I'm hearing from those, the predominant image of her in the, in the public eye, which is Calamity mm. Jane and those kind of, more so the Rock Hudson movies where she was and is now known as the Eternal Virgin. But they came in the 60s and that image has swept away the, uh, these 50s recordings. And also, if you look at something like uh, the movie she made where she sings the song Ten Cents a Dance. Yeah. One with Ruth Lo- Wasn't that about yeah. Ruth Love Me yes. or Leave Me. Great. I mean, she, that's, that, that was she, marvellous But track. I think in that, but also in that, even when she does, she just stands there very still and mm. sings Ten Cents a Dance, which is about women who, who are being bought and are being sold. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a dynamism, which is, it's, it's like Grace Kelly in a Hitchcock movie. Is she antiseptic or is she sexual? It depends on your taste, Mike. Right here. Well, I'm certainly <laughs> Quickly not moving on. I won't be fingering your neck lightly <laughs> while we're listening to the next one. But here she is again anyway with But Beautiful. Well, now, there's Doris Day and But Beautiful. So, Joe, you're doing a serious reassessment of Doris Day here. And mm-hmm. it seems other people are as well, aren't they? Oh, yeah, one, one aspect. But this is, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm sorry hasn't bubbled more to the surface in relation to a feminist reappraisal of Day's work uh, was done about 10 years ago by the British Film Institute in which they analysed the role she played in movies. And even in the movies we were talking about before that, we played the song. If it was, if she was the eternal virgin and the question was, will Rock Hudson get her into bed before the end of the movie? The point was, she was in control until she decided, yes, he will. And it was her choice by the end of the movie. And in that Love Me or Leave Me movie and a Hitchcock movie, which I can't remember which, what the title of it was, she always played a strong, forceful woman. And the mm. other aspect to her life, which is not well documented, but is the fact that she had a quite horrendous marriage to uh, a band leader who beat her. And that's why I wanted to pick Artie uh, Shaw. Artie Shaw, yeah. He, he physically beat her. And when, I, when you hear um, Billie Holiday singing But Beautiful, you do think of the marriage upset. You think of the drug addiction. You think of the tragedy. When Doris Day sings it there, which is like uh, eight years after this horrendous marriage, she transcends the tragedy. I mean, she's singing Love is Beautiful. And you do get the sense she still believes it, mm-hmm. even if eight years before that she's she was concealing. quite. She's concealing. She's concealing, but she's, all, yeah. she's concealing or she's transcending it, depending on what okay. you hear. I think she's transcending it so we all can gain access to the okay. song. Some people can't get into Billie Holiday because it's too tragic. All right, <clears throat> let's move on. Tony Bennett. Okay. Now, now, you talk about a reassessment. I mean, Tony Bennett must wake up in the morning, look <laughs> in the mirror and say, what happened to me that I'm getting Absolutely. yet another go at my career? Absolutely. No, he's now 67 years old. I mean... Uh, uh, I've just he did a concert in the concert hall last year. It was one of the best gigs I saw throughout the year. He'd said that he's going to win, uh, sweep through the pop rock uh, section and win a Grammy this year, which will be his second Grammy in three years because he got the Lifetime Achievement Award the year I was over there with the Chieftains, which was two years ago. And he's turning up now on MTV. He turned up on the Unplugged series, and that's the album which may win the best pop album of the year, which is astounding. <laughs> so I mean, this is a man who... Alfie. Alfie. This is the man who, uh, like 1952... I mean, even his role in rock and in, in creating rock, I interviewed him at Christmas time, is, uh, is, is quite important in that when he recorded Cold, Cold Heart by Hank Williams in 1952, and that's how far back his career goes as a popular, as a hit singer, uh, he opened the eyes of record companies to the fact that so-called race music can be popular outside the areas in which it's created, as in whether it's white country is not only popular in the South. 
mm-hmm. that you could take black race music. And this is what led on to the, like the advent of rock rhythm and blues and those things opening up. And he also claims that he and Johnny Ray, which is probably true, influenced the element of that kind of uh, operatic approach to interpreting a song. Like he would take a song, uh, he's a student of jazz and he's a student of painting. And the way Bennett approaches a song is the way Art Tatum played piano, which is you make uh, like an epic out of a note. You kind of explore it and explode it in as many ways as you can. Yeah. And he also, uh, because he's, he's, he's an exhibited painter, he tends to have, and he works very closely with arrangers, He's, he thinks of the voice as the colour red and he'll set black and blue against that. Yeah. So he thinks of everything and he says like he plays, he paints like he sings and he sings like he paints. That's why so you, you do said, get the sense. <clears throat> that's why you have said if this is middle of the road music, then Monet was a middle of the road painter. Well, you see, I think this kind of music, it's like uh, the reason it's, I think, so d- uh, downgraded in, in cultural analysis that is, it's always there in the elevator. It's always there in the supermarket. Yes. I wish they'd pick another kind of music. I mean, there are certain styles of rock music, rap music, dance, hip-hop, which are as much middle of the road within their genres as this is deemed to be by so-called rock critics. Mm. Now, I think we've become almost immune to its uh, power and poetry and potential because it's played so often in the background. I almost wish they would slap a ban on it and people would be made listen to it on programmes instead. Well, we're going to listen to Tony Bennett now. This is If I Love Again. Why this track and what are we to look out for here? Well, again, I think it's the same thing. I think just in terms of... uh, when I was listening to the day track earlier, I was thinking of a comment Crosby said about why he chose. I can't remember who the arranger was. He did a lot of his ballads. But to uh, set the voice in the most obstru- unobtrusive setting as possible, whereby the meaning of the song was of paramount importance and nothing got in the way of that. And the instruments lay back on the right phrases, like the right words, the right syllables. And I think the way uh, they've arranged If I Love Again just capture- captures an amazingly uh, bitter- bittersweet quality. And in terms of the way he's singing, I think he's, it's as technically perfect as Miles Davis, you know, playing, playing his instrument or Tatum playing piano. It's astounding singing. Just listen to it. Now, Joe Jackson, um, there's a new album as well from Johnny Mathis. And uh, I gather you feel it doesn't compare as well as the other two. But it's interesting, Joe, that a, a music critic of your generation is taking music like this, mm-hmm. taking another and a fresh look at it. There can't be too many music critics, sure. rock critics like yeah, yourself who are yeah, doing this. Yeah. Now, this is uh, the greatest legacy I got. My father died very young. He was 49. And he, he loved this. I grew up listening to this music as much as I grew up listening to the Stones and then Bowie in the early 70s. So my dad played this all the time. In fact, these Mathis albums I, I still have as part of his collection. And this is why I think there's a kind of snobbery towards it. But to me, and I think music should begin to be reassessed all told in this way, that the importance of music is not only in terms of its, its aesthetic value, but also what it reflects of the people who consumed it, produced it, bought it, lived by it, have memories that that evolve or mm. involve, we'd say. You mentioned your, uh, <laughs> you buying <laughs> yeah, it was something the wonderful. Yeah, the record I ever bought was but then that, wonderful but, by but, Johnny Mathis. But you see, yeah. if somebody comes along and says that aesthetically is not his best cut, it doesn't matter a damn to you. What matters is the fact that the second record and forevermore you'll remember it, and it's hugely oh, yeah. important to you. And I think there are people who will listen to Bennett singing If I Love Again or Doris Day and say, well, that is a huge uh, cultural, social, romantic signifier for me. Sure. So I think this right. is a way of analysing what this music is. OK, worth. talk about Mathis then, right? You're saying this is not one of his best, but yeah. you are still saying, though, that he was uh, one of the best singers of his time. Yeah, well, I mean, that uh, something wonderful. I mean, the album that that, the, that that was then, his greatest hits collection, stayed in the American charts for 11 years. Nobody mm. ever talks about who else stayed in the American charts for 11 years. Johnny Mathis' greatest hits, the first volume, which has all those wonderful songs like Chances Are, Twelfth of Never, 
uh, the the early uh, songs. And I think they are, um, again, impeccable singing. I mean, they're a bit over the top the way he sings in the original albums, but an album like Warm with yeah. Percy Faith doing the arrangements is a wonderful concept album. People don't even acknowledge that Mathis yeah. Day and those were doing concept albums in the 50s. OK, we're going to hear Midnight Cowboy in one second. But okay. you have 20 seconds to tell us about Dial a Track in oh, the yeah. Irish Times, which yeah. is just a fascinating little departure for the paper. Go <laughs> I on. I think it's great. Now, what happens is uh, whenever um, records are reviewed in the Irish Times, there is now a facility whereby you can phone uh, a particular number which is given in the newspaper and hear the songs and you can either agree or disagree with the reviewer not just the, <laughs> the section I do but anybody's and uh, maybe next time they're going to put a little answer machine on it you can leave abuse for the reviewer if you really Excellent. don't agree with Excellent. what they say Alright we're finishing this item with Midnight Cowboy All right, Good song and Johnny Mathis and Joe Jackson thank you very much Hi Joe Jackson here again I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast and don't forget If you want to read any of my articles, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.